And now, the Mistaken Identity Podcast with David and Frank presents Cultural Conversations, a week-long series on race, religion, and inclusion. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent those of any team, business, or sponsor. Discretion is advised. Shout out to some of the newly uh, promoted supervisors uh, at Wrigley Field. I'm not going to say all their names because they um, haven't told the world yet. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, you'll know that. But um, one of them is a good friend of mine, uh, Chrissy, who is a uh, uh, security supervisor like myself. We were both uh, at the gates for years as uh, gate chiefs and gate leads and got um, promoted. Uh, She's tried a couple of times like I did, and uh, she's finally up here with me. So uh, I'm excited about uh, Christy getting promoted. So uh, congratulations to her and all the others. And uh, as they announce it, I'll say more names publicly, but I want them to announce it first before I go out and say uh, who they are. Uh, and then lastly, a big shout out to all of you who are uh, getting the $3 uh, podcast membership. Uh, some of you are paying more than that. Um, that really helps out our show. Uh, it costs, we've gotten so big now that we have to do more stuff. Uh, we're paying about $500 a month uh, to produce all of our shows. Uh, so when you pay $3, it's a donation, but when you give $3 a donation, you get to actually watch the podcast as opposed to those who are just listening to it. And you get to see it in advance. Not only that, um, our celebrities and our players, past and present, uh, that are helping us out uh, when they send the video in uh, randomly uh, we post those videos for our members to see so uh, consider doing that it's uh, patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash mistaken identity podcast and i will put a link um, 
to that in the uh, description page. Uh, David is at work. Uh, we're doing this early, early uh, in the morning. Um, so that's why he's not here with us today. But I want to go ahead and get uh, started with um, our guest. Now, I have, um, as you all know, been posting um, about church all the time. All you see on my page is uh, about the Cubs and <laughs> about church, which is basically my life and why I stay out of trouble. Because um, I'm either, uh, you know, at church or uh, with the Cubs. Um, so I want to uh, have a discussion today. Uh, and for the record, people say, why didn't you get your pastor first? So my pastor has agreed to come on. He's just extremely busy, um, but he is going to be on. Uh, we have discussed it. Uh, our guest today is good friends with um, my pastor. So uh, this should be uh, exciting. But let's, let's bring on uh, the guest today, uh, Pastor uh, Leandre Hill. How's it going, sir? Good morning. Good morning. All is well. It's going good. How are you? Uh, great. Now, there are some, some letters and titles after your name that I uh, <laughs> missed. So I want the audience, I, want, I like to give people their credit where credit is due. So uh, go ahead and tell us your titles there. Uh, well, you know, I'm not big on titles. I'm, I'm just, I go by Leandre. Some people call me Dre. Uh, I'm a pastor. Some call me Pastor Dre, but I'm, I'm a pastor of a local church in Chicago. Um, I just graduated last year in the pandemic from seminary to finish up my MDiv study at Northern Seminary. Um, and so, you know, I'm big on education. Um, most of all, I think the, the biggest title I have is that I'm a husband, I'm a father. So those are my biggest titles in life. <laughs> and and for, our, for our young listeners, MDiv is what? Masters of Divinity. Masters of Divinity. Yes. yes. Uh, so on these topics today, uh, obviously, uh, he's got some credibility. Uh, we are excited to have him here. Um, and as you can see, those of you that are watching at the membership, uh, and again, it's only, I want to do the, the Baptist plug. It's only $3. <laughs> um, if you want to be a blessing uh, to us, go ahead and um, give that $3. But if you're watching this, you see the Cubs gear. Um, so there is a reason why he is, uh, and let's start with that, first of all. So why the Cubs? Why are you a fan? Favorite player? All that jazz. Give us all that jazz. Man, so I, I've been a Cubs fan all of my life. I'm I'm 45. I'll be I'm 44. I'll be 45 uh, next month. Hopefully, I'm at Wrigley for my birthday because I celebrate my birthday at Wrigley every June, at least one one or two or three games in June at Wrigley for my birthday. Um, but I grew up a, I grew up a Cubs fan. My grandfather was a major Cubs fan, and um, he would he would sit at home. And he will always watch the Cubs. He had some, my grandfather in his older years, um, he had some handicaps in his life. And so he couldn't get out as much as he wants to, but he will always sit and watch the Cubs. Whenever I would come home from school or come in from playing, um, the Cubs game would be on, whether it's on the television or on the radio. And literally sometimes he would have the television on, but listen to the Cubs on the radio. Uh, which 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 is crazy within itself, and so my grandfather was a major Cubs fan, and my first Cubs game 
Um, I went with my grandfather. We, my aunt put him in a wheelchair, took him to Wrigley. And my first Wrigley experience was with my grandfather, who uh, he passed away at the age of 69, 69, almost, uh, wow, 20 plus years ago. But he was a major Cubs fan. And since then, I've been rocking with, with the Cubs. So who are your uh, who are your past favorite players, and then who's your favorite player on the team currently? So my 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 I, I got two I got two past favorite players. Uh, number one is Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson is like my favorite uh, Cubs player of all time. I love the way he commanded the outfield, just his presence. Um, I'm still kind of heartbroken. He couldn't go into the Hall of Fame, you know, as 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 a Cub with a Cub hat on, but he's a Cub to me. Um, and then my next favorite was just was Derek Lee. Derek, I got my Derek Lee bobblehead sitting right here. Uh, Derek Lee um, was my favorite uh, Cubs um, in the transition time. And then currently, I would say currently, my favorite Cub right now will have to be a mixture of Jason Hayward and um, Javier Baez. I just, I like the way that Baez plays the game. He goes hard all the time. His energy level is crazy um, at all times. And so between, between those two, definitely. You just named all my favorites. Uh, Andre Dawson is a great <laughs> uh, surprise. And this is, I don't, I can't believe this is my life, but uh, Andre Dawson uh, is a um, uh, supporter of what we do. He came to, he's been on our Zoom sessions uh, that we have for Black History Month. Uh, he did some graduation shout outs for us. Yeah. Um, we can reach out to get Andre to do almost anything, which is like, I can't believe this is my life now. But, um, and then Derek Lee, who is, uh, we're working on getting uh, through uh, uh, Sarah Matlock, who is Bill Matlock's daughter and agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everybody knows Jason Hayward is just, you know, uh, his work off the field in the community, in the neighborhood is just amazing. Uh, yeah. To me, so you just named all my favorites there. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, now I was scrolling down Instagram, minding my own business, and <laughs> I came across this uh, what I thought literally was an advertisement that either MLB put together or the Cubs put together about um, a series called uh, it was opening series, and it, the graphics were so amazing <laughs> that it just caught my eye. And then I looked up to realize that this was actually not by the Cubs and it was not by MLB. This was actually a baseball related series that you were doing at uh, church, which, by the way, is the reason why those of you that are listening see all of our graphics now popping and going up because his caught my eye so well that I, was, I had to do that. But tell us about the series, how, you, how it came into your head, how it went, what was it about? Wow. So uh, this, this, the sermon series entitled is Opening Season. It came about um, a couple of ways. So each year our church has what we call a year theme. And so the theme for our year for our church is entitled um, the year of open doors and open opportunities. And so this entire year I've been preaching and ministering to our church um, and uh, those online, those who watch, because our church is 100% virtual right now since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and we've been just talking about the year of it being a possibility where God is going to open doors and opportunities and so many spaces for us to, to do so many different things, experience life differently, reimagine life. 
Um, as we see, even with sports, we have to do sports different, um, baseball different, all these things. And so each month I preach a different sermon title. And so, of course, springtime is here. Um, and when springtime comes, man, you know, my mind just starts going in different space, my body, because the weather's adjusting. I'm a summer baby born in June. And so there's something just about the outdoors, the opening of uh, the beginning of baseball season. So I think my my mental clock, my spiritual clock always times spiritual thoughts with opening season of baseball. And so, um, you know, I had this idea the preach the series entitled um, is opening season, which is, is, re is really about um, in the book of Isaiah, where um Isaiah prophesies and God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Um, as high as heaven is from the earth. Um, you know, God's talking about these open thoughts, these open ideas. And so um, I was teaching, I was going to teach about just opening our thoughts and our minds to things. And then baseball season was approaching. Opening day was coming. So I'm like, wow, let's tie this into opening season of baseball. And so um, as you know, virtually, we have the, um, the creative task of doing things to catch people's eyes, to catch their attention, because everybody's doing something virtually. So you have the challenge to be different. And so since everybody knows I'm a huge Cubs fan, everybody knows that, right? Um, and so I went to my graphic guy and said, hey, I have this idea of the series I'm going to preach about is opening season and use some baseball analogies, tie them into uh, biblical principles and concepts and um, current cultural things that are going on today um, to be able to, to preach it and teach it to the audience, those who listen. And so I told him the idea of what I wanted and gave him information. And he came back with this amazing flyer. So of course, because I'm a Cubs fan, everything about the flyer has to be about the Chicago Cubs, right? And so naturally people thought I was thought I was either doing an event about the Cubs or something about the Cubs. And so they were intrigued and they tuned in and it was an awesome series. Just uh, again, just talking about the opportunity to um, seek God openly be open. Like I, I talked about the idea of the outfield and Wrigley with the, with the Ivy coming down the walls and how the refreshingness of just being out in the open in the baseball field. And there's so many possibilities and all of those things. So it was a pretty fun, it was a fun series for me to be able to preach and to teach. And of course, every Sunday I had on my Cubs gear or some type of baseball gear. I had my Cubs bobbleheads out, my Cubs bats, all those things. My staff laughed at me and said that it was my show and tell time with all my Cubs stuff that's in my office. <laughs> now, is it available online? Um, can people, where, where can they find it? Yes. So you can follow us on um, at Purpose Church on Facebook. Um, all the videos are there. Our YouTube page, um, just type in Purpose Church, P-U-R-P-O-S-E-D, Church, on our YouTube page. Every single series is there. And then also at our website, uh, www.purposechurch.com. So you can go to all of our social media pages and you can see every uh, sermon series for the month of April that we preached about uh, and taught about op the opening season. Okay, so we'll we'll leave some uh, links in our description. Uh, show description. Cool. I want to see if I can get Joe, our um, uh, partner, to uh, add some clips at the end of this for those that are listening on audio. Um, and I'll show the uh, the graphic to our membership page so they can see it. Great, awesome. 
Um, which leads me into the, you know, we're, we're having these cultural conversations and, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the black church, uh, you know, because uh, there it's one, I, there's, there's a new PBS series out so that I actually saw called uh, uh, the black church, which enlightened me about some things um, altogether. But, uh, you know, it's good to have a, a, a pastor on to sort of, uh, you know, help me with this discussion. Uh, but if you can, if you could pinpoint like three things that you think are um, standouts that are unique to the black church, like what would those three things be? If you, if you can find three things. So I, I think when it comes to the black church, what makes the black church very unique? And I think I think the first thing that most people would say is the gospel music. I think that's probably one of the biggest indicators of a black church is the gospel music, the worship experience. But then also, I think there's there's a level of soul and spirituality that the connection may be a little bit different when it comes to the African-American church. Like the preaching experience is probably a total different experience that you will find in many other cultures and churches. Um, even down to what <laughs> what we call sometimes the hoop in the church when the, when the preacher is preaching and it sounds like as if he's at some point literally singing while he's talking. Um, but and then also I think, and you said three within there also has this civil rights movement that comes along with the with the black church, African American church that make it very um, very unique and different from most other ch churches. So to me, uh, the black church, and you, you brought up the hooping, um, uh, which uh, Pastor Storrs does every once in a while when he's feeling it, he gets in that phrase. Uh, before Mars Hill, I went to uh, Pleasant Grove, uh, who's a uh, pastor from the South. Um, so hooping was, was there. But to me, the, uh, for our listeners, the baseball comparison to me is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, throughout the game, the first couple of innings is steady and slow. Yeah, uh, but then like the seventh inning at the Wrigley Field, the organ hits, and at the church, when that when that when the organ hits in the middle at the end of that sermon, here comes the hooping, and then yeah. the deacons are standing up, and then it just sort of flows into this um, huge uh, climax. And a funny story: so when I was little, when I was a child. Now I grew up in the church. Uh, I was the first uh, born grandson on both sides of the family, so both grandmothers had me in church. Uh, obviously, you know, everybody held me, everybody knew me, but I, I was the first, so I was at both sides of the family. But as I got older, uh, I started to be afraid uh, of uh, people shouting, you know, what we call yeah. catching the Holy Ghost, yeah. which I want to talk to you next, catching the Holy Ghost. So I learned that when the organ hit, that was the time for me to go to the bathroom. And I would <laughs> wait until <laughs> the organ stopped. As, as a child, I see people passing out, I see people crying. It's for a kid, for a child, it can be somewhat like, whoa, like what is going on? Especially when it's like your grandmother who you love to death, yeah. you know, screaming and, and crying and whatever. Uh, so I had learned when the organ hits, when, it's, when the organ hits, that's when you raise the finger and you go <laughs> to the bathroom. And by the way, there were, uh, there were other kids in the bathroom with me at that time. So I was like, not the only one that was like, what are they doing? Like, what's going on? What's happening? Yeah. Um, so can you talk about that? Because a lot of people that don't know the black church don't know what I'm talking about. So can you talk about the shouting or the, or the catching the spirit, as we call it? Can you, can you 
Yeah. And so you, you described it uh, greatly. Um, and, and, and some people in, in the black church entitles it, you know, catching the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit or whatever. And so it, it is literally a moment where um, you become so overwhelmed spiritually and emotionally where um, your body, your mind just begins to release all these levels of joy, excitement, emotions. And we know that when, we, when emotions take place, you can hardly contain yourself. And so you no, know, let, let's connect it to the baseball experience. You know, someone hits a home run or there's there's a walk off home run and the crowd goes crazy and everyone's going crazy. There's all this stuff happening and you're yelling, you're screaming, you're excited. Or um, when the Cubs won the World Series, an emotion you just can't describe that takes over you when you didn't think you would cry, you would end up crying, things of that nature. And so in the black church. We have this experience of the Holy Spirit. Some call it holy dancing, where you just express whatever comes over you. And sometimes the expression comes beyond your control, beyond your control. So it's a spirit-led moment. Um, and biblically, we, we see it in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, where all different people of different cultures and tongues came together and the Holy Spirit came because they were on one accord and everyone began to speak in unknown tongues, which it really means that they all began to speak and understand. They spoke different languages, but they all understood each other at the same time. And so in the black church, you will have that experience probably on a Sunday to Sunday basis, prayer meeting basis or whenever it is. And for a kid, that doesn't understand it could be scary or for someone from the outside that doesn't understand what's going on, it could be scary. But eventually I think most people can connect with that moment in some type of way. So I took a friend with me uh, to church. I went to church. Uh, I was out of state and uh, I wanted to go to the, the black church that was there. And I took a friend with me who was not black uh, there in the experience. And there was the shouting or whatever. And uh, so my friend was there and didn't say anything at all about it. Uh, so as we were driving back, uh, my friend just started the conversation about it. And um, he described it in a way that first caught me on guard. He's like, uh, you know, wow, I felt like I just witnessed uh, an emotional riot. And I'm like, what, what do you mean by emotional uh, riot? And he's like, uh, I sat there and watched uh, all of these people who have probably been uh, oppressed at work or oppressed on the street or oppressed on TV or impressed by politicians. Um, and it feels to me like they could not hold all of that in. And the idea of uh, some help or some hope or a brighter future caused them to yell and scream and run, yes. uh, which is what some people who riot do in the wrong way. I just witnessed it being done in the right way. And like, now I get it. So when he explained that, I'm like, wow, I never even thought about this being an emotional riot. But yes, for a person who's not black, um, I guess you could see like, wow, I see all the oppression in the room coming out. Like it's just all coming out. Couldn't hold it in anymore. Absolutely. I, I thought that was a great, <laughs> uh, great way to explain it for somebody who was not black, just to witness it and, and to be there and see it. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. There, there's there's a hymn that says, it's just like fire shut up in my bone and yeah. I, I can't hold my peace. Right. And, and that's for that. Um, again, it's, it's a unique experience. 
Um, sometimes it's uncontrollable. Sometimes it's, it's, um, it's in participation of what's going on in the room, what's happening in the room, um, which is why, you know, I, I, I still believe that Sunday morning, although we, we've heard the analogy that sun, Sunday morning is one of the most segregated yeah, times in that, the yeah. country, but it's also one of the most, uh, I believe, impactful moments of the week uh, for those who are, you know, those who go to church, those who are believers. Um, I think that it's, a, um, it's an important part of the week for so many people. Now, I was just watching, uh, I want to, I've been watching a series uh, by Dr. Fred Price, uh, who I think passed away this year or last year, but um, mm -hmm. he did a, a series, I was shocked, on TV about race and religion. Um, it was like 60 parts deep. Uh, I think I'm on like part 40, whatever. Uh, and he did it because he said there were some myths that um, Christianity was the white man's religion. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to um, break those myths. Uh, something about, you know, um, people you know, leave Christianity to go to this because they think it's the white man's religion. That's like something about you don't throw out the baby and the bathwater. Something he was saying, but he broke it down to explain, uh, you know, his points of view on why that was not true. So I'm just curious as to where do you stand on the when people say, you know, that Christianity is, uh, you know, the white man's religion and that we shouldn't be um, participating in that. And so I, I, I'm in line with Dr. Fred Price. Um, I, I believe, number one, Christianity, it, it's, its word itself has the root of Christ, Christ in it. And we know that Christ came and died for all people. Now we know there's this great debate, was Christ black or was he white? And when we look at the regions in which he was born, uh, we can identify that, you know, he he definitely had darker skin. He had a uh, different hair. Um, and and I, I choose to believe that Christ was definitely different. He was different. Uh, and he actually was different than most of us, almost all of us. And so for anyone to um, stake the claim on Christianity, I believe it's unfair. Now, I believe where we get the confusion in today's time and culture that Christianity is a white man religion because there were there were um, there was there were eras within um, the late hundreds where Christianity was used as a tool for slavery and for um, keeping people in line. Uh, biblical texts taken out of context or biblical texts being limited, and so it was used as a weapon to control people, but it's really no different in today's time. We find different religions and cultures that are used as weapons and tools or even politics to control the, the mindset and the thought of people to get people to, to perform and to operate based upon a certain standard or, or a, an idea, right? Um, but in general, I believe that Christianity is for all people. Those who choose to believe, um, choose to believe, uh, which is why a long time ago, I made the decision not to call our church a Baptist church, but to call our church a Christian church. We are a Christian church that, that follow biblical principles, because many times when we start to label things, we then begin to cut so many other people out who may not understand what it is that we believe in or what it is, what it is that we do when at the core of it all, it, it's all about Christ. 
and that Christ came to die for everyone, color, age, sex, height, weight, Cubs fan, even a White Sox fan, but you know, he died, he died for all of us, right? And so that's my position on when we start to label what Christianity is. Yeah, now you brought you brought up Baptist, and I think most uh, um, uh, mainstream people, when they think of African Americans, the first thing they say is they're probably Baptist or they go to a Baptist yeah. um, church. Uh, but there are other denominations I think that came or branched off from it, like Church of God in Christ or whatever. So for people who are again new to all of this, um, can you explain like maybe what Baptist is or the, the difference between Baptist or Church of God in Christ uh, if you know it? Yeah, and, and so when we come to what we call denominations, um, they're all based upon different doctrines, culture, creeds, practices. Um, Baptist, of course, is one of probably the oldest denominations, but also, and, and for some reason, when we say Baptist, we think that most Black people are Baptist. But in reality, um, the African Methodist culture are predominantly African-American, probably one of the largest, AME is probably one of the largest denominations. Um, and then you have Church and God of Christ, which is pretty huge. And so you have all these different um, sectors. So it's almost like the major leagues, right? MLB, you have MLB, but within MLB, you have the Cubs, you have the White Sox, you have the Yankees, you have the Rangers, you have all these team names that represent their team and their regions and their cultures. And so when it comes to religion, denomination is probably almost the same thing. You know, we, we choose to follow different denominations based upon probably sometime what makes us comfortable or basically what we were born into. You know, most people who are Baptists were born into being Baptist because their grandmother was a Baptist. Uh, but then what I find is strange is that, um, People forget there's also whites who are Baptists. You know, there, there, there's whites who are, you know, Pentecostal and other religions. And so um, when we explore the world, we'll, we often find out that we are we have more in common than what we have that are very different from each other, even when it comes to religions and cultures as well. Yes. And, and, and me being Baptist, uh, I can go to a... Um... Church of God in Christ church and fit right in and it's like you know I, yeah. I'm one of them or I can go to AME church and I'm just like oh like it doesn't really even the same I have the same songs I have the same music just Correct. you know so um you're right because like even like you said with American League National League it's just basically almost the same rule you can sort of follow along uh regardless of what league you're in just be, just by knowing one so right um you're definitely right about that uh, so now one criticism that I hear about the, the black church in particular that I want to see if you can address, because you do the opposite, is I always hear that the black church, the pushback that I get from people when I say, hey, go to churches. Uh, hey, you know, the, they just take all the money and all they care about is the money. They don't about the community. And, you know, they got the, the, the preacher has the fanciest cars or whatever. But I know you all do an amazing job in the community. So can you talk about that? Yeah. And so, um, again, another stereotype of the church, like you said, is that um, the church takes three or four offerings. They take all your money. Um, they want you to give and to tie, but we don't see anything from it. I think they're probably the biggest running joke 
is the churches that the church has a building fund, but never put a doorknob on the door or build a building or things of that sort, uh, which is why I think why I've always chosen to never have a building fund like never have a building fund. At our church, we just give, literally. We do believe in giving tithes and offerings, and we just give. Um, our biggest slogan of our church is we worship, we serve, we give. We keep it real simple. Worship, serve, give. And our giving, we're on a mission to always give out more than what we receive in or what we receive in to give it out. And so our church is big on outreach. And um we have a tagline for our outreach team that we entitled Blessing People on Purpose. And so we find intentional ways to be a blessing to people during the pandemic, um, blessing families with resources and uh, blessing kids with scholarships. Uh, we have a scholarship foundation that we give uh, kids funds when they go to graduate to go to high school. Um, we try to be a blessing to moms or blessings in our community, to our local schools in our community, and then even partnering up with other people, because I believe giving the best way to be able to, to maximize giving is to partner with other people who have a heart to give to people. Um, and so for me, I have a heart to give. And my staff would tell you that, that I've always come up with these crazy giving ideas. And if I had it my way, I would just give it all away. Um, because I believe when you give it all away, you make room for God to give you more resources, right? And so our church is designed to be a place of resources that when people give to us, we can funnel that giving back out to help so many other people. And so if a church is going to be a part of a community, I believe that church should also impact the community, not just with what goes on on Sunday in the building, but being a part of that community on a weekly basis as much as possible to be able to meet some type of need that someone has in some type of way. Yeah, you know, for me personally, I mean, to me, it's obvious that churches have to pay the light bill and got to pay um, the rent or the mortgage or what, what have you. So uh, obviously, if we're all there, we should want to pitch in. But Correct. Uh, and it, it, even things you don't even see, like I have some I've had some of the best fried chicken of my life at church. <laughs> I mean, in fact, I was introduced to hot water cornbread at church. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, and that, that costs money and then people have to cook it. You got to get, you know. They couldn't afford hundreds of people. Got to give them some money there. So, um, you know, to me, it makes sense. But I mean, I mean, min ministry ministry costs is costs money. You know, buildings, um, budgets, um, staffing. It's no different than any other organization. Any other organization, be it your corporate job, be it your um, your baseball organization, whatever it is, um, there is a there is a business side to church a business side to ministry, um, pastors for most pastors, this is their job. Now I'm, I'm bivocational, you know, but, um, cause I have some girls I got to put through college. Right. But there, there is, there is an exchange for the service that we do, um, as pastors, as leaders, um, on a, not just a Sunday basis, but pastoring is an everyday 24 hour job that you have, whether you work a nine to five job or not, you're still pastoring almost every day of the week, every hour, every second, your phone rings, your email goes off or whatever the case may be. Uh, and so there is, I believe there is some value exchange for what we do in ministry as a church and as a community and as pastors and leaders um, in our church as well. So, yeah, so we, we, we should give to the best of our ability. 
Yeah, you know, nowadays nothing is free. Um, nothing. Even, with this, even with this podcast, uh, you know, David and I just had an idea. We're just going to do a little podcast. You know, maybe we'll get 20 people to listen or what have you. Um, fast forward the first 30 days, um, we're growing so fast that we're we're paying almost five hundred dollars a month. Like we need to we need to probably ask for some donations Correct. for this. Exactly. Because if you want to be good and uh, you want to have the, we can't send a we can't have Derek Lee, for example, come on a podcast that is half done or amateurish. Um, and the guests that we've had, because they their management or their agents want a sample of it. So, uh, you know, we've got to put in the money now to uh, meet the level that we are. Not the level that we thought we were going to be. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So things cost money. So I, I agree with you on that. Um, now the other part of uh, being in the community that you brought up earlier too is the social justice aspect of it. Um, and the church has been a part of civil rights movement forever, right? Ever, ever, yes. And uh, so obviously, uh, there's no difference in this in these days now. Uh, although I've heard I've heard a debate. Among some young people, uh, you know, like you know, uh, who are in the Black Lives Matter movement, saying, "Hey, you know, uh, we don't need the church here because the church is, you know, old-minded and you know, uh, uh, not inclusive or whatever. You know, we're going to do this on our own." But truthfully, you know, the, the biggest pulpit, um, no pun intended, is on Sunday, and you need the church when it comes to civil rights. So, yeah. uh, what are your thoughts on? Well, your personal responsibility, you think, as a pastor in your church, to be involved in civil rights. So, so for myself as a young African American man, um, even putting aside being a pastor, just being young and African American, um, I believe I have that responsibility. Um, one of my greatest heroes of all time is Dr. King. He's right there, right there on my wall, right behind me. You can't really see the picture, but. Um, he stood in both spaces, both in the pulpit and on the streets. Um, and, it, and I believe it was it was divine. It was divine to do so. The reason I, I think the reason why there is a strong connection between the church and civil rights is because it all involves people and the heart of people, not just the heart of people, but the spirit and the soul of people as well. Um, and so when it comes to social justice, I believe, and not just the black church, but every church um, should be a part of some social justice movement because of Jesus Christ himself, right? Jesus Christ was a liberator. He came, the Bible says, he came to set the captives free. That's liberation, that's social justice. And so when we walk in the spirit of what we preach and teach every week, it's all about setting people free, loving our neighbors, um, making sure that this is a, um, a just society as well. And so as the church, um, I, 100% believe that we have a full responsibility um, to speak truth to power, to speak truth to power, to um, when there's an injustice, we have to get involved. Now, of course, in today's culture, there's this quote unquote divide between what we know as a Black Lives Matter movement and the Black church, which some see as two different spaces. But I believe in order for progress to be made and to have the most impact that you have to marry both together, right? Because the common cause at the end is 
justice. And so we must do whatever we need to do to make that happen. Now, sometimes it may mean that those of a Black Lives Matter movement who are more, more younger people, let them take the forefront while the church becomes the foundation because the black church is still the foundation of whatever happens. Let's think about it this way. Whenever there is an unjust killing, whenever there is um, something that goes on wrong, where does the funeral end up being? In a church, right? And there's always a preacher somewhere. So you can't have one without, without the other. You, you can't have a movement without the church because ultimately the, the social justice movement, the, um, the civil rights movement, it was birthed through the black experience through the church. You know, Rosa Parks was a believer. Dr. King was a believer. You know, all these people, they were birthed through the church where they stepped out on Sunday and on Monday they were in the streets fighting preaching and teaching, but on Sunday, through the word of God, they rallied people together uh, for a common cause, which is freedom, justice, civil rights, voting rights, equal rights, economic development for all people. And so the church has a major role and a major part to play in it, whether people like it or not, or understand it or not. And I watched the, uh, the PBS documentary about the black church, uh, which I recommend everybody watch um and they were saying how which i didn't know this but they were saying how uh that song that most well they used to but the deacons used to start every service off with that hymn uh, i love the lord hear my cry mm -hmm. they were uh, saying that that actually was a song back from the slavery days um that uh was was sung back then and we just carried it on to generation, to generation. and i'm just like sitting there thinking like wow i am singing a song that ancestors have sung back in the day so when people say well slavery is over uh, it's just amazing that, you know, we're, we're reminded of slavery almost every Sunday. So it's never over for us. Yes. And I want to try to see if I can get Joe uh, to put that song uh, in this uh, podcast. Most of the hymns we sing or the spirituals that we sing come from slavery. Absolutely. <laughs> all, all, all the spirituals that we sing, they come from, that's where, that's where spirituals were birthed. Right. They were birthed out of slavery and yeah. we, we continue and carry those traditions on. And now in today, in, in, in the, the pop of the church today, we've kind of shifted from that to praise and worship and um, all of these things. But even within the fabric of the praise and worship songs we sing, are still some of the most powerful spiritual lines that came from those hymns. So they're still there, 
the music has changed, the rhythm has changed, the melody has changed, but the words, it's, it's the words that are powerful that transcends all generations. And I think that's why there's so much pushback when a politician goes on TV and says, uh, slavery was over, slavery, and that's, that's gone, it's over, and you know, we're, sing we're singing it every Sunday, and then my, you know, our kids' kids will be singing it when they go to church. Um, interesting. Now, speaking of unjust killing, uh, so you were involved closely with one, uh, can you talk about uh, the one that you're involved closely for and trying to get justice for? Yes. And so uh, November 11, 2018, um, a young man by the name of Jamil Roberson, uh, 26 at the time. Um, Jamil Roberson was a, a church musician. He loved church. He loved church. Um, play for our church was like a, um, a son, was like a son. Um, and as a matter of fact, that Friday before his death, he played for my grandmother's funeral, which was the last day that I saw him. He called me that night by that early that Sunday morning, at two, three o'clock in the morning. I got a call that um, he had been killed. He had been killed. And um, ultimately to find out, uh, Jamil Robeson worked part time security um, to make a living outside of the church. He worked security and he was working security at a club in um in Robbins, Illinois, in Robbins, Illinois, um, at a club. And there was a shooting at the club by some gentlemen and Jamel helped stop the mass shooting. And while he was holding the suspect down, um, an officer from Midlothian came on the scene, the last officer on the scene, not knowing who was who, um, and, and no, no pun intended, but mistaken identity. He thought the guy he saw with the gun was the gunman and, Although everyone around is screaming, he's security, and he shot and killed him with a um, with a high-powered rifle, assault rifle, assault weapon, uh, four or five times and killed him. Um, that was 2018. Fast forward 2021, um, the officer was never charged um, because of what we know as qualified immunity um, that officers are covered by. We know it was an unjust killing. The, the, the good guy with the gun that stopped the mass shooting, saved many lives at night at the club, lost his life. Um, the heartbreaking part is that uh, this kid was preparing to take the police exam the following month to be um, to be a Chicago police officer. Um, but his life ended at night. We've been fighting for justice ever since uh, for the officer to be charged because we do believe the officer reacted quickly. He may have, re he may have reacted with some, some preconceived notions of who he saw and what he saw. Very tragic situation, uh, but the Cook County State's Attorney decided not to file charges. Um, as of today, um, he's back on the job, he's working, but yet we have a 26 year old um, who's no longer with us. Um, and his mother grieves daily. I speak to her almost daily. Um, he has a daughter who was born um, after his death, who would never get to see her father. And so it's, it's a tragic thing. And um, I never thought that at this moment in my life, I would be even thrusted further into social justice in this type of way. But um, I think we have a responsibility, whether we personally know someone or not, we have a responsibility when an injustice has been done 
again to speak truth to power and to fight for justice. I, I saw a post on uh, Facebook that said, although you can't see it through all the noise, I still respect and appreciate the police. And my immediate response was, this has to be the most ignorant, this, this is, this is the, the non-Christian version of me when I first saw it. This has to be the most ignorant thing I've ever seen in my life. And then I had to catch myself in my head. I had to catch myself uh, and realize that um, there is an, a purposeful intent in the media to um, make it seem like all black, we're, we're saying that because these three or four cops are bad, that black people are saying all cops, 100% of cops are bad. Right. And nobody is saying that because we all know that in every profession, you've Absolutely. got some bad apples. Absolutely. And I was offended by the comment that says, although you can't hear it through all the noise. And I, when I hear your story, I'm thinking to myself, why is this person saying that your story is noise? It's a human life. Somebody died. Right. Why are we you putting down the person that died? Because we want to be overly supportive and make sure that the police know that, you know, we think that they're good, even though nobody has said that all police are bad. Uh, there are bad people that work at McDonald's. There are bad people that work for the Cubs. There are bad people that work for the Sox. There are bad people at search. I mean, there there are bad apples everywhere, right? Uh, but I feel like you know there is a pur purposeful uh, attempt to distort what is going on to keep us all angered and fighting with each other because nobody in their right mind believes that there are no good cops. Correct, correct, correct. Um, and it's, it's interesting because we we see the same narrative with Black Lives Matter. Those who who scream and 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 shout Black Lives Matter, the 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 counterpunch is always well, all lives matter, which is not what we're we're not saying that. What we're saying is because all lives matter, we're tired of black lives getting a short end of the stick. And that's the biggest cry for all of us. Um, I, I support police officers. If something happened in my home right now, I'm going to call 911 because that's what we're, 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 it's in us to do because their job is to serve and protect. But well, at the same I, I, time, I don't, I don't, I don't go through all though, but because I, I would call 911 too, but exactly, I would still be afraid exactly. that. Actually, when they when they get here, they may think that I'm the problem, and they may shoot me. <laughs> so exactly. So we we always have that fear that if we call the police, they they may come with preconceived notions. Um, depending on where you live at, if you live in an area where is predominantly white, and you're you're the minority in the area, um, which is my case, um, you have those concerns. You have those concerns or if you're the good guy with the gun who simply is trying to protect your family or protecting someone, how does that proceed by an officer as well? Or if you're driving and you're pulled over or you see a police officer turn around in the middle of the street to start following you, you know, those are those are the things that we experience 
every single day, not once a month, not once a year, but every single day. It's ironic that in the middle of a global pandemic, where we should be worrying about our health, one of the biggest pandemics that has been surfaced is police brutality, police murder, racism, social injustice. During a time where we should be worried about people dying from a virus. And so it let it lets you know how serious the matter is and how much I believe God is shedding a light on all of it. He's shedding a light on COVID and racism, social injustice has been the biggest unveiling of the last two years than I've ever seen in my life. And I believe God is putting the cover cover app off, off of all of it to get all of us to see that this is a serious issue and we all have a part, part to play in it to either to help it go away, to make it go away or help it go away to make things better. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a good analogy. And, uh, and, it, and uh, as both of you know from my mom on the podcast, uh, uh, I grew up around more, you know, um, white people than black people. So most of my friends are uh, not black, but um, one of my white friends uh, who listened to the podcast uh, gave me a good analogy actually that he may have stolen, but he said that when a teacher is uh, accused of sleeping with a student multiple times, uh, the teachers don't all go on social media and support the teacher regardless. The teacher sort of sit back and say things like, well, you know, uh, we don't know what the uh, what, what the issue is, but we do know that no teacher should be sleeping with uh, or having sexual relations with students. Right. Uh, and the teacher's union will come out and say, well, you know, this is under investigation. But our stance is that no teacher anywhere in America should be having any kind of inappropriate relation with um, students. The flip side is that when we have these um, uh, shootings and whatever, before we even have an investigation or whatever, you have people come out and say, well, he deserved it probably, he deserved to die for this reason. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, uh, we support the shooter before we even hear the story or the issue. And my question is, you know, why, to those people, why is that? Why is it automatically, before you hear the evidence, you have to post support, uh, not for the person that has done, in fact, not even mention the person that has done. Like, I'm, now, I'm okay if you are saying, uh, wow, I grieve for the family because you know nobody deserves to lose a family member. Uh, but most people sort of, you know, depending on you know, what your beliefs are or your political stance, mm-hmm. you're either the guy deserved to die, there's a reason to die, or you're like, wow, um, nobody has the right to take a life but God. Correct, correct. And I, I think a lot of it is because how we are historically and culturally raised and trained, um, our mindset, our experiences with um, police officers or anyone else to speak. Um, because in that same context, and we can't talk about one without talking about the other. We have the issue of black on black murder and crime. And so one will then say, 
well, I see this group of people raising all this noise and this rioting about when a police officer kills an African-American or um, a, a white person wrongly or unjustly um, does someone or harms them, as opposed to when black people kill one another. But because of my, my setting, my context, I see the noise in both spaces. I see the outrage in both spaces. Um, I even literally challenge black people on the same thing because I see it on my timeline. Well, where's all the, the, the rallies and the riots when the, when the kids are killed? My question is, you may want to change your circle if you don't see anyone raising noise or outrage about any unjust killing because all killing is unfair, especially when it's unjust, is wrong because ultimately God has the only responsibility to bring life into the world. And so we, know, we don't have that responsibility to do that, be it a police officer, be it a gang member, be it um, a, a, a racist person. We don't have that power or position to take anyone's life. And we should be outraged about it all. We shouldn't justify it. We definitely shouldn't justify without having all the details. But I believe that it has occurred so much that when an African-American is killed, of course, we automatically say it's unfair, it's wrong. Or when a police officer is involved because we're taught that the police officer is the good guy. Like, I still remember Officer Friendly growing up, you know, in my neighborhood, you know. And so some people have that Officer Friendly mentality in their mind that if the police were involved, the offender had to have done something wrong. And in some cases, it's not always true. It's not always true. Um, and sometimes it's unfortunate. Police officers have a very hard job. Let's admit it. They have a hard job. They have a hard job where oftentimes they're forced to make split second decisions. But yet at the same time, like all of us, our historic makeup, our current situations, our mental capacities all play a part in the decisions that we make in those critical moments. And those are the things that need to be reevaluated. And we're not just officers, right? People of all professions, the CEO, the person who makes the decision not to give someone a business loan to buy them a house because of their color, because of whatever the case may be. Um, there's a lot of challenges, spaces there. Um, and ultimately, as you're saying, we can't just jump to conclusions or take sides. We, we, should, we should side on the error uh, uh, on the side of justice. We should side on the side of what's right compared to what is wrong. And when someone is wrong, we all have to band together. Black, whites, Asians, Latinos to say this was wrong. And this is how we handle things together when something has been done wrong. Yes, you know, and I'm with you on the black on black crime uh, with, uh, for me, with one exception. Because I, I did post in the beginning, I posted it. Uh, hey, you know, we're talking about police shootings. What about the neighborhood shootings? Uh, and then somebody sent me some research. And it's, I, I tell you, education is the key. <laughs> Absolutely. Somebody sent me some research that from the FBI. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it was from, um, um, actually from uh, Donald Trump's, actually, um, 
uh, I think the defense department or what have you, that showed that uh, almost all crime is um, local. Um, and the report uh, from Trump's team actually, uh, that, that they produced was based on all facts. And it shows that uh, black on black crime, Latino on Latino crime, white on white crime at all, at almost equal levels. Um, and matter of fact, if you were to go and watch, uh, I just recently got the Peacock app because I love that app. Uh, if you actually were to go and watch uh, the series called Dateline, it's called Dateline NBC. Uh, they're on season number like 32. And if you want to see, because you, you, you will see a lot of black on black crime on uh, TV. But if right, you go right. Dateline uh, NBC, as my friend told me to do some research, 90%, and, and again, they're on season like 32. So uh, 90% of the murders and the deaths and the killing your wives and whatever uh, is not people of color. Absolutely. Um, and it's so much, it's happening so much that they, they created a series about it that is on season number 32. Wow. But you have, to, you have to go and seek it out though. You have to go and look right. for it. You're not gonna see it on the news. You have to go and right. seek it out. So researched, research helped me to see, again, from a Republican, administration, that research helped me to see that black on black crime being thrown out um, at, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing is actually a, a ploy uh, because if they're producing the research, then the president should be on TV saying this, but Correct. Uh, that, that all murder and crime is local. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a problem with white on white crime, black on black crime, Asian on Asian crime. There's, there's a problem with all of that, but you only hear about one. <laughs> yeah, it's what, what 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 we choose to put on the news, what we choose to highlight. Yeah, um, so that you know that 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 helped me out um, a lot. Well, uh, so this has been a great uh, a great conversation. I completely lost uh, track of time, which is great. okay with me. <laughs> uh, definitely gonna have to have you back uh, in the summer because uh, you know, uh, as as any Chicagoan knows, the, the summer is really full of fun when it gets hot outside. Absolutely, um, and we'll probably have more social justice to talk about in the summer. Yeah. Uh, so definitely want to have you back. Uh, but I do want to let you give some shout outs to your family. I know your wife is uh, 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 a great speaker in her own right, an author. And then uh, I think you have a daughter uh, in the prom. So I'm going to let you uh, give some family uh, and friends or some church shout outs and then we'll end it there. Definitely. Uh, shout out to my whole team. You know, um, we can't do life alone. And there are so many people in our lives that play critical roles just to keep us going on a day-to-day basis. My amazing wife, uh, we just celebrated um, our anniversary of 22 years. We just celebrated 22 years earlier this month. My wife, Patricia, she's a, um, she's a medical assistant um, at a hospital. And so she's been working real hard during this pandemic with very minimum days off. And so she's done an amazing job with that. Then uh, we have... We have four amazing girls. I have an older daughter that lives in Texas, uh, Chelsea. Then we have three girls who um, are here local um, in college. Um, our baby girl is graduating, going on prom this weekend, and she'll be off to college. So we'll have three girls in college, and they all have chosen to go to three separate colleges. <laughs> and so to chart their own path, so they're 
there are outstanding girls involved in music, involved in medicine, involved in psychology and teaching and all those things. And so I thank God for our daughters and then um, just also my entire family, mom and grandma and um, our church family, Purpose Church. Again, we're located in Chicago right now. We're we're virtually, so we call our church Purpose Church Online. And so uh, you can catch us online at uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those spaces, um, as well as follow me. So when you follow me, you're going to hear about sports. You're going to hear about um, religion. You're going to hear about uh, politics, social justice, and you're going to hear about life. And I think it represents who we are and what we are. And so I really appreciate this opportunity, this time to come hang out with you. I, this, this was fun. This was cool to just be able to share. Um, again, it's amazing to see something that just started out as an idea uh, for a sermon series based upon my passions lead us to you know this conversation today, which is amazing conversation. So I want to salute to you and your team for doing an outstanding job um, with all of the, the critical and uncomfortable conversations and the candid conversations, because I think that's what makes our world better by just having a conversation and talking it out, which allows us to get understanding and understand each other. So thanks to you. Uh, thanks to the connection to your pastor, Pastor Stores, who is one of my biggest mentors, which is how we connected. So I thank God for those opportunities um, as well. So I appreciate it. You know, listening to your your daughters going to college and, uh, you know, your wife um, uh, doing what she's doing and uh, you getting your master's. I wish that the the narrative and or the media uh, was more about that. because The majority of us are doing that Correct. on TV or they choose to put us in on movies, uh, on uh, sitcoms and is the complete opposite which is feeding into what is going on in the world. But that's just really a small minority of the African-American culture. Yes. Um, the majority of us are doing the complete opposite, doing, you know, doing it big, but you never get to hear about that. And that is so frustrating because you know that it's done on purpose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, we gotta keep pressing, gotta keep believing. Um, I tell people all the time <clears throat> that um, I'm a man of faith and I'm a Cubs fan. So I know what it is to have faith. <laughs> I know what it is to keep hoping. Um, yes. and, 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 and ultimately, we all get to experience a championship in life. Even if it's just one time and it takes 100 years, 100 plus years, we get to experience it and it makes it all worth it. So when I go to graduations for my daughters and all of those things, um, it makes it worth it that no matter when the world doesn't see you, the world doesn't recognize you, the world doesn't put you on their platforms, uh, your family is your platform. As, as long as your family is pleased and God is pleased, um, I believe you then live a rewarding um, and a healthy life that you can enjoy and just thank God for. So, yeah. Yes, and those of you that are members, uh, we're going to post uh, some of the links and some of the photos and things that we discussed in our and your membership website. Uh, cool. And again, for those of you listening, it's only three dollars, just three dollar donation. Uh, you can get some uh, bonus uh, material. Um, so, with that being said, we'll catch everybody on the next episode of Mistaken Identity with David and Frank. 
Thanks for listening to our cultural conversation series. Now enjoy this introduction into gospel music featuring several popular Sunday morning songs from the Black Church. Come on, Brother Maurice, put your hands together. Listen, when you go to church today, hardly can you find people still singing gospel songs. Everybody like the old time songs that we used to sing on Sunday morning. I want to hear you say Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. We're going to take you to Sunday morning. Listen, it's in my mind.
need to hear some Sunday morning music. Let me hear you say Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. When the war is over, we gonna have Oh, when the war is over, oh, we gonna have when the war is over, we gonna have We gonna have We gonna have We gonna have We're gonna have